when we think about ID systems, it creates a very limited scope of freedoms, with, which are very well defined. Hence, they are they are not as broad as some libertarians may wish. So essentially, we are not created equal because only by distinguishing between um, different people from different territories by excluding many, um, some can be free. And this is not just. Monero Talk is sponsored by KCWallet, a trustless open source wallet that gives you the keys to your crypto. Invoice, donate, and trade your Monero with peace of mind, peace of cake. And by StealthyX, an instant exchange where privacy is a top concern. Go to StealthyX.io to instantly exchange between Monero and 450 plus assets without having to create an account or register and with no limits. Making StealthyX a simple way to purchase Monero with crypto anonymously. Monero Talk is also made possible from contributions by viewers and listeners like you. And supporting us is easier than ever by typing in monerotalk.crypto in your monero.com or cake wallet send address field to send us a tip. This week on Monero Talk. Douglas Tuman interviews Ben Biderman, a digital ID expert. The two discuss the concept building of a decentralized digital ID system on top of Monero outside of the traditional state ID system that preserves privacy, and why it's important for the private market to build its own digital IDs that can compete with the government ones. They also discuss XMR Bazaar, the Monero marketplace that Douglas is building, would implementing digital IDs into the marketplace be beneficial, and what would the technological implementations be? why Monero is a better suited platform for building a digital identity system on top of other chains, and finally, is the Monero ethos compatible with decentralized digital IDs? Monero Talk starts now. All right. Ben, thanks for coming on, man. Greatly appreciate you jumping on. Uh, I know, I know, we met at Monero Con a few months ago, uh, back in the summer when it was a little warmer in Prague, and it was great meeting you there. And I did listen in on your presentation because I was the one emceeing at the time, and I believe my my daughter uh, asked a asked a good question at the end. That ended up taking up some of your time, and because of that, we weren't really able to do a proper interview. So I wanted to bring you on. Um, but before we jump into it, if you can give a quick intro of yourself, I think you're relatively new to the Monero community in general. In general, I, ha I hadn't heard of your your name or seen any of your work before the conference. So give us all a quick background. Yeah, on who you are? Thank you, Doug, uh, for bringing me on the show and. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity to also maybe speak a bit more about um, where I'm coming from and what led to my presentation at MoneroCon. And in fact, um, the question of your daughter, um, whether um, distinguishing or deciding based off holding an identity document to, to let someone into a country or not being, or whether it is unjust, um, is a really good starter or um, tying our conversation today and our first meeting at MoneroCon um, 
into, well, some theoretical stances, but also, well, critiques I want to bring forward and which led me to join uh, the Monero community. So I, I started out studying um, cultural studies. I got very excited about um, critical theory, um, reading critical thinkers, and really getting a grasp of the concept of uh, freedom. And Monero in its history, at, at least as far as I understand it, and you know, I, I need to acknowledge that the community is much older than um, maybe my professional career. So um, it's good to maybe talk about the community where, where it's moving and the broader developments within the European Union and the US when it comes to ID, because I know that Monero took a more cautious approach to, well, let's say KYC processes and the um, well identification of its members which I think is a good thing um, because there may be something in more recent policy developments that can be quite threatening to to some of our more vulnerable members of our community. And yeah, I guess if you want to just explain what it is, you know, Real rough, what it was you were basically proposing that day with regards to Monero and how it can relate to decentralized IDs. Yeah, sure. So we saw what we are seeing that um, jurisdictions like the European Union and the US are pushing digital IDs. Now, the, the difference between digital IDs and physical IDs is that digital IDs are traceable by default. So um, nation states, governments are trying hard to, to have a paper trail by default, which is much harder to achieve when you, when you take a physical identity document. Um, so what I was proposing is that Monero needs to kind of have a community developed identity system that acknowledges and purports the the benefits of Monero because otherwise the policy developments around it will force some aspects of Monero which which makes it quite quite unique when you think about unlinkability of transactions um, the anonymity enabled through ring signatures um, to, to go away. And I was proposing a DID method, so a decentralized identity method um, over Monero as one of the major um, distributed ledger technologies out there and networks running up and running today. Um, so in order for Monero and the community around it to get ahead of the recent developments um, that are, well, quite concerning if you look at it from a larger or broader perspective. 
And what are what are the recent developments you're referring to? Let's talk a little bit more about the problem. You 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 mentioned there there briefly, but what is the problem we're trying to solve with this new decentralized ID system? Like what 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 do you see as coming down the pipe that we may need to try to avoid? Right. Um, so I think our societies at large are so much about convenience you know we we order online we shop online we get food online um and we book flights online and we also identify ourselves online we we may want to exchange different currencies and we want to use online banking you know because it's easy and for quite some time um identity documents that are physical, so like physical passport or driving license issued by the state um, were photographed and uploaded and manually checked or checked through the pictures and, and reading the, um, the writing on it. But now with like the, the well, continuation of convenience, um, jurisdictions like the European Union, as well as some states in the US have moved to deploying and developing digital ID systems that live on your smartphone. So you, for example, in Arizona, you, you have the mobile driving license in your Apple wallet. Um, we can talk about the Apple wallet, but I think the the driving license being in the Apple wallet is the more significant fact. And this is juxtaposed by the European Union developing its own wallet, um, saying, well, we, we need to bind holders to a device with a unique identifier, making holders traceable and, and, and trackable throughout the entire process. So essentially, holders are reduced to, to something that you could call an identity product. Um, and I think the threat to privacy, especially when we, when we talk about cross-border transactions and maybe more, more sensitive issues, um, where where Monero can, can be quite enabling for, you know, groups who may not want to use an ID or may not may not be able to use an ID. Um, this is concerning because when you mandate that someone needs to have a digital ID that lives on your smartphone, that lives on your digital devices and, and basically have an identifier in it that follows you everywhere and links every single small thing you do online to this identity, um, then there's no privacy at all. So Monero becomes this island, which is quite isolated. And as soon as you want to move out into the real life, you basically are doxxed immediately. So if we could, as a Monero community, develop our own ID system, which is just a natural next step. You know, we, we started using the technology, um, to, to send financial transactions back and forth, 
but we can also use Monero as a trust layer to build our own pseudonymous, maybe even anonymous um, ID system that still ensures that we are compliant, that Monero transactions are not used for, for anything illegal or um, unsensible or sensitive, um, but we are still within the boundaries of an ethical use, then we could maybe mitigate becoming this isolated island where nobody can move off or on from. Does it make sense? Yeah, yeah. So you, you're you're basically saying, listen, if if we're if we're gonna opt out, because it we we you know there's a lot of us are liberty loving people that feel the need to opt out, right, and avoid the dystopia of central bank digital currencies and digital IDs and mass surveillance, right, and move into this this Monero Monerotopia, if you will. Uh, we're all going to be using Monero there. We're going to still need some some ID system, even just among our ourselves, so that this new society, this new opt out opted out society, can function. Uh, but ideally, in a way where the digital IDs that that we have are not trace are not traceable and done in a way where your ID is now associated with all your actions that 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 you partake in in you know the digital sphere right is that is that is that basically what what we're going out here is this the the problem we're trying to solve with decentralized ids yeah and and i want to differentiate a little bit more because i think opting out is not the same for for everyone Mm-hmm. So some of us have different obligations. Some of us, us have kids. Others may have a job. So opting out looks different for for everyone. Um, so if we if we do not want to make this a binary decision, so saying either you're opted out fully and you you live somewhere off grid and and use Monero or um, you're fully opted in then then we need an on and off ramp and on and off ramping or opting out like creating our own freedom shaping our own lives having the freedom to do this may require us to to have one lack in and and one lack out and kind of you know moving on the boundary between boundaries and for this reason, we we just need more than just a a system to transact financially. And so, what do you see as that one leg in, one leg out world looking like? Um, how is that? I mean, because we're, we're talking about a world wherein the state is potentially going to mandate their version of a digital ID, right? And we're saying, but over here, we're going to build our own digital ID system that's not controlled by any state. How how then does that allow you to work in either realm where this in a world where the state may just be like, well, you know, we're not we're not playing by those rules. We're playing by these rules that we've mandated. So how how does it solve potentially solve that problem or it or it just, it just can't? Yeah. And 
So one leg in, one leg out refers to that. So Monero and a did Monero or a decentralized identity system over Monero are tools to, to shape our lives, to live our lives, to prove that we are compliant, that, um, like the, the funds moving into Monero come from, from sources that are, are not like banned or are not, um, illicit, no, they're, they're legitimate. And by doing so, we, we can shield ourselves from like the, the most extreme scrutiny. So basically one leg out, one leg in, or the transitioning means that we, we can shield ourselves in a privacy preserving way from scrutiny, um, to then be able to shape the freedom within, within the society, within the community, um, we are, and we are building. I guess what I'm struggling with understanding is how, how such a system could potentially work. So essentially what, what nation states are, are getting at, at the moment is they, they want to maximize the, the scope and the reach of their digital ID systems. So, and if we don't have our own, if, if we don't develop measures and safeguards to, to, you know, identify ourselves or identify, um, certain activities, um, in a privacy preserving way, we may be more reliant on the infrastructure that is out there. Hence, we are extending the scope of governmental ID systems ourselves, ourselves, instead of having our own ID system and not having to rely on something that is imposed. Because quite when when you look at the the regulation, for example, in the European Union, they they're quite smart. So they have like a very small, like well-defined scope where they, where they mandate that the ID solution must be used, but then they have a second, second scope or, or second aspect to the digital ID system where, where people can just use it if they want to, if they don't have their, their own ID system. Um, but they use the same identifier, they use the same technology, opening their communities up to government control and surveillance. Um, so what I'm trying to say is that if we have our own ID system, if we add another layer ourselves, we may not have to rely on what the, what governments are proposing, suggesting saying, Hey, you could use that if you don't have your own and you know, we would be very happy about you using it, but of course you don't have to, for this use case, um, we, we're not going to depend on this. If we, if we take initiative today, does it make it a little bit more clear? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's this, this is great. Um, 
and you know i'm i'm thinking back to the question that that my daughter did ask which actually was it was quite a deep question when you think about it right so she she really zoomed out and she was just like you know is it even fair that you know states mandate that people show ids in the in the first place which which sounds uh you know what 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 is your what is your response to that now that you've had some time to think about it um well it's not just um because it is exclusionary by default um and i, I want to add some more like granularity here so a couple of years back i i came across um quite like a fundamental essay by isaiah berlin who who was a libertarian and and he introduced two two concepts um one is the freedom from so this is negative freedom so it's not at all like negative connotated it's just mm-hmm. fr- being free from from control being free from surveillance and then he introduced positive freedom yes. which means being free to do something now, when you take any ID system, first and foremost, it it protects the in-group. It protects people with within the control of like governments within a territory, supposedly, to to do certain things. So, the state guarantees um, people within a territory to to transact financially within like. Uh, specified like framework within uh, a monetary union within um the the bounds of legal tender um by keeping people out so by being free from maybe people who use a different system um for transacting financially and when we think about id systems it creates a very limited scope of freedoms with which are very well defined hence they are they are not as broad as some libertarians may wish so essentially we are not created equal because only by distinguishing between um, different people from different territories by excluding many um, some can be free and this is not just but to add another layer, today it's not just governments who do this. So if you think about the notion of network states, and we can talk about Liberland for a little bit, maybe, um, there we also see the emergence of ID systems, maybe not for Liberland specifically, but for other network states that are emerging within the cryptocurrency communities. Hmm. Yeah, you, you you have you have me thinking here. Um, I mean, I, I what, what do you see as being the the ideal, you know, the ideal world with regards to societies and IDs, right? If if we if we had the you know the magical wand or uh, the way to, to to create the ideal version, what what would that be? It would be just society interacting in a kind of zero knowledge proof type way where people are never 
having to really reveal who they are, um, but just revealing bits about themselves so that they can interact in that interaction. Uh, um, do, do you think of things in those terms or no? Is that, is that, is that too idealistic or is, is that ultimately the ideal? Or that's not even the I- ideal that, that we should be going for. Can I be a little bit polemic here? Be whatever you want. Okay. Um, so you mentioned um, zero knowledge, proofs, and technology. Now, maybe you've heard about Worldcoin. Um, yeah, yeah. And and they claim they that they use zero knowledge proofs. And you know, I I looked into it a little bit, and what they're essentially doing is they take a picture of your iris. And they they map some some features and then they hash it. Um, so it's it's not not quite an advanced knowledge technology, but but it is to some extent. Now now they're saying, well, this makes it all safe and you can trust us. And you know the pictures are only stored in a trust execution environment, which is close to like a hardware secure module. Um, so being very, very secure objectively from my well, IT system point of view. Now, but do you trust the technology being used by Worldcoin? I wouldn't. Um, so when we talk about technology and technology, I think can also be a legal system so legal technology, um, we we developed a a technique, so a framework to to govern a group of people to govern a territory, which essentially it is a tool that was developed and is advancing. So it it I would say it falls within the realm of technology. Um, do you trust that? So we need to define ourselves. Do we trust technology in in any way? Um, and we need to make this for this assessment for every single technology we use, um, in order to define what, what are the implications of using this technology? Um, so if I would have a magic wand, I, I would say we should be more careful with technological solutions. And this extends far beyond just, you know, cryptocurrencies or blockchain or even even legal systems um, we we need to make a community-based decision and we need to be very aware of the risks so that you know we may not need borders at some point mm-hmm. but what do you what do you think of the you know the the general concept though, right? Where ideally I I go to a bar, you need to be 21 and over. I shouldn't have to show my, you know, they shouldn't have to see a picture of me with my home address. They should just be able to determine that I'm over 21, right? In the zero knowledge way with knowing I'm over 21 without me telling them more information about myself or, uh, you know, you, you can give a, a million examples, right? Uh, even a, yeah. even a driver, you get pulled over even by, by a police officer, right? Uh, if they ask some question, 
um, you can, you, you know, you can prove that you're, that you're legally able to drive that car without giving out more information about yourself. I don't, what do you, what do you think of that concept? Do we do, is that something we could move towards or do you think that just, that's just not going to work in society? Okay. Um, I think we were at this point, you know, just so, so let's assume you, you drive a car, like very extreme example, you, you drive a car, you own the car, um, you, you are sober, everything is fine. You're getting pulled over. Um, the officer comes up to your window, um, gets your driving license, gets, gets your paperwork, checks it out. Everything is all right. They, they may not even phone it in, you know, the, they have a good day. They check it out. They have the decision, they can make the decision to not like call up your name, not like double check your details, meaning like this is not on the record. They, they have the discretion to do this and, you know, like processes and policies may be different in the US to, to Europe, but you know, it, it happened to me. I, I got pulled over and everything was fine. They checked my details and, you know, they, they didn't like even check my name. It was just fine. So this is, this is nowhere in the system. And now we're moving to, to a world where like the identifier is always going to be in the system. Like this police check, this, like this routine traffic control will always be in the system. And I think this is the most dystopian aspect of it. So we can have all the zero knowledge um, technologies in the world if we can, if we develop and use systems where one identifier can be tracked and correlated and is entered into a database, we have a problem. So now, Given, given that scenario, how how does what you're proposing potentially solve that problem in that scenario, or it doesn't? Uh, well, to an extent. Um, so Monero has ring signatures, so you can you can prove that one one key pair is a member of n key pairs that were. Um, engaged in like securing one transaction. So you can essentially prove that if you make a transaction, um, two addresses are, are linked together. So you can have a next address already set up while you're using one at the moment. So you can rotate keys essentially. Um, and key rotation is well, it's a simple concept. It it's a best practice when um, when using like cryptographic key pairs in general. So if you sign a lot and like a party, a malicious party records many many signatures of you, at some point they can more easily guess your secret, guess your private key. So it's a good idea in general to, to rot rotate keys frequently and you can implement policies for this, but in, in the realm of identity, um, 
key rotation is pretty difficult because usually what happens is an identity document is is bound to a unique identifier. So when you when you use the identifier to present um, your your document to 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 a verifier, and then you come back to the verifier and say, "Hey, I I was already here," and you actually want this, so you want to be recognized of having been there already. But you come back with a different identifier. They can say, "Well, I don't know you," and the document you're presenting is actually linked to a different key. So what you want to do is you, you want to prove that two identifiers are like associated with each other without always giving away like which identifiers you own and control by the way. So you want to retroactively say, well, actually I can prove that both of them belong to me, um, but you don't want to outright say, well, this is me, this is me, this is me. And this identifier is also me because then you, you don't have anywhere to go. You don't have like a tiered approach to, to privacy. Does it make sense? Yeah. Making sense. So tell us more about what you propose as the overall design for this decentralized ID, ID system that could potentially run on top of Monero. So what you, what you use or what you do is you initialize, um, two, two, two sets of key pairs for, um, like for your did Monero. That's how I call it. So did is decentralized identity or decentralized identifier. So there is a, a standardized way of how like these are named and where they're registered. So there is a did registry, which kind of outlines um, which decentralized identifiers are out there and how they're constructed. So did Monero doesn't yet exist. And what you do is you initialize two, two sets of key pairs and, and you know, Monero has, um, for every secret you, you create, you have multiple keys associated with it. Um, so that's why I'm referring to it as a set of key pairs. Now you make one transaction from key pair one to, to key pair two, and then a second transaction. And you take the transaction hashes, which become your identifiers, because then you can say, well, actually. Um, I can prove that for this transaction hash, um, the address, um, I control and I can prove that I control it was, um, was active in, or was in the set of signatures used for the ring signature. So you can retroactively prove that you control the, the address beforehand with which you initiated transaction. So and because you initially um, do two transactions, you, you're basically always one step ahead. So you can verifiably rotate keys um, and then prove to, to verifiers who ask you. So you, you come with a new identifier, with, with a new transaction hash, say, um, well, at some point I controlled 
this identifier with this identity document associated with it, but now I'm someone else or I'm, I have a different identifier and, but I can prove that both belong to me. If you really want to know, then, then you still have the choice if you, if it adheres to your policy, like you said for yourself, you can still choose to reveal yourself, but you don't have to reveal yourself all the time by default. So essentially what you're doing is you are implementing privacy by default and sharing information in a tiered approach. And what, what are the two, the two transactions? I'm, I'm not following you on there. Why do you need two trans? And can you use like the transaction ID, the, the Monero transaction ID? Is that, could that affect? Yeah, you use the transaction hash. Okay. Because, so if you use the, okay. So you have a, a, a key, a public key that can receive, um, Monero. Um, so like you basically send Monero from one address to another address and this is linked with it. So the two addresses are linked with a transaction hash and by using the transaction hash as identifier for the, for the did Monero. So for the Monero identity system, you are not, you're not bound to one Monero address but you actually can, you can move downwards. You can move with the blockchain. So as, as new transactions are propagated, as new transactions are made, you can, you can rotate and you can link. So the, the transaction hash or using the transaction hash is important because it links to two sets of addresses that you can prove that you control with each other. So I guess that's what I'm following when you say link to addresses. So if I if I have Monero, I have Monero in a wallet and an address. Yeah, I send it to another one. Yeah. Um. So yeah, you could prove with the transaction ID that I was the one who sent from that address to the other address. Is that is that is that basically what you're what you're saying? Yeah, this is basically what I'm saying. Okay. And then that 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 proof that transaction ID then becomes what? So how, how, did, how does this become a digital? I'm losing where then how this becomes your digital ID. Okay. Um, maybe, maybe we need to take one step back. So, um, an ID, so like an identity is essentially a bunch of data, um, that is associated with an identifier. So in your passport, you have a passport number, which is unique. So when you, when you digitally present it, so when you, when you book a flight and you type in your passport number, um, like all this information in this passport is associated with the, this one string. Yep. Um, and about this one string we're talking about right now. So you want to have like a pretty straightforward way of, um, constructing these strings and they should be unique, um, so that you can then associate data to it, package it and, and sign over it. So you, you need 
like a public private key um, in order to sign over it in order to present it and prove that you really presented it um, and if you would take the the address so the private public key of your Monero address to do this um, it it would be pretty difficult to then link it to another address to another key so what you what you want to do is you want to take a string that is generated by the Monero blockchain by default and and use it as your individual identifier that is unique um, and therefore you use the transaction hash where I'm suggesting that we use the transaction hash rather than one rather than a Monero address because the transaction hash is basically the bridge from one address to the second address so it is it is not um, one dimensional but two dimensional by default so you have you have a backwards way and a forwards way so if you if you then use the second address where you send funds to um, to send funds to another address that you control you again can use a transaction hash so you're basically building a blockchain over blockchain. Do you love coffee and Monero as much as we do? Consider making gratuitous.org your daily cup. Pay with Monero for premium fresh beans. And if you like what you taste, send a digital cash tip directly to the Guatemalan farmers that made it possible. Proceeds help us grow this channel, gratuitous and Monero. You, you got me thinking because we're working on a project called XMR Bazaar, and it's it's going to be uh, a marketplace, and a peer-to-peer -peer marketplace. And I've been thinking recently about how the account creation is going to work. Initially, we were, or as it's currently being designed, it's just going to require you know a username. And then a password, and you know you would confirm your password, right? So you could get it, you know, make sure you're putting the same password in, right, twice, uh, and that's it. You know, no email address. Uh, but we've seen people recently use uh, Monero addresses as as a login. Um, but yeah, just just I guess your thoughts. So would this potentially be a good area to experiment with this? So perhaps the login becomes. When, when you're initially creating an account, uh, maybe you're sending a, a small, like a microtransaction, right? You send a microtransaction, and then that transaction ID from that transaction becomes your, your login credential. Just curious, uh, number well, what, what do you think of that, and if that it kind of relates or... That's a stellar use case. Okay. That's great. Great. So basically... You're, I'm consulting with you right now. <laughs> yeah, it, You're the, the digital also, ID expert. So okay. like, username, passwords are horrible. Um, they have horrible UX um, mm -hmm. and they, they're just hard to remember. They're, they're easily getting, getting lost and they put a lot of responsibility on 
XMR Bazaar. So you you need to have a database where you where you store the the login details. And what is done today is so let's say a user creates a an account and and sets a username and and sets a password. The password is hashed um, and and stored as a sorted hash in the database. Um, now, when a user comes and and you know inputs the the um, password itself again, then this is hashed again and compared um, to what is in the database. So you you don't need to store the the passwords or at least not in plain text, but some do. And you know, secret management is expensive and difficult. So what you essentially do by having username and password, you double the work of secret management. So users need to manage their secret, their passwords, and you as um, a, a platform, a, a marketplace, need to manage your users' secrets. And I think to to many like platforms, marketplaces out there, it, it hasn't occurred yet that secret management is expensive. Like it's not good to, to store like so much data, um, on, on your servers because it's not just useful. It's, it's also a risk. It's also a responsibility. So if we, if we maybe move away from big, the promises, which, you know, you can disagree with, I do at least, um, of big data, um, towards a more conscious approach to, to data, um, seeing data management as like a costly undertaking, then passwords are not, not great and they're costly. So if we, if we would use did XMR, did Monero, um, you could essentially alleviate all this password management from the users and from XMR Bazaar because they could just, you know, have a standardized protocol. They come, they authenticate against their, or yeah, they authenticate with their transaction hash. Um, they sign over it and basically you have an authentication and this authentication is an identification in the first instance. So when a new user comes, they identify with the hash. They, they perform a signature, um, over like a random string, a message, and then you create a pseudonymous user, um, in, in your database. And then when they return with the same transaction hash, um, you, you could basically just check whether it's the same identifier that, that authenticates, but if the users rotated keys, you could basically have a prompt saying, are you new or are you an existing user? And then you could go into the flow of does a user who already had an account with a different, um, identifier, but has now rotated, rotated keys want to reclaim their old account or not, or basically act as a new user. So that would be a really great use case. 
I'd be stoked to see that. Cool, cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to talk to you more about it. Let's see if, uh, because I mean, in that case, though, is if the if the just using the scenario. So if the transaction ID effectively becomes your unique identifier, but isn't isn't the system then still just saving that? So have you really prevented the saving the password? I mean, at that point, your 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 transaction ID effectively becomes your password. And right, and that's still so. If you come back as as a user, you're creating an account. Now you're coming back for the second time, and you want to maintain your current account because whatever you have information there, you've created, uh, you know, a pseudonymous profile there, right, about yourself, whatever it may be. Um, have you then not really? Have you then just kind of created the same the same problem? Because you, uh, not quite. So the. The transaction hash would, in fact, not be your password, but your username. And the the password would basically fall down because you would perform a signature over mm -hmm. a over a randomly generated message um, by by the by the platform by XMR Bazaar, and then. You could cryptographically prove that the that the secret used to perform the the signature over the message adheres to the transaction transaction hash that is your that is your identifier. So what you do is you you link a secret um, to like a public identifier. Um, that of course, and here I agree with you, is anywise. So it is quite long-lived and it is persistent. Now, when we when we look into the world of decentralized identity, there are ways to to mitigate this. And I think at MoneroCon there, in fact, was a a workshop by by Nim Technologies. Uh, so they provide um, a a mix net um, to kind of obfuscate and well preserve the privacy of um, participants in in Monero. So it's like Tor for blockchain. If you, I mean, I don't not an expert on Nim, but they use something called Coconut Credentials, which is a, a special flavor of a standardized, decentralized, or verifiable credential. Um, they call it anonymous credential. And they use zero-knowledge technologies to, to not have this linked. So what you, what you basically can consider the transaction hash is it just makes the handshake between two actors and the identity in and of itself is then um, something different. So you don't have to connect all the pieces and possessing a identity document, possessing being in control of an anonymous credential that is presented over channels actually enough to, um, you know, enter or access an account with, well, maybe more rich account data. Um, so there is, there is more work, um, 
to be done than like a, a very simple proof of concept to make it really privacy preserving to a high degree. But I think even in a very simple implementation where you just use the transaction hash as identifiers that give you access to the account, you already win a lot in comparison to using your Monero address. And why Monero? I think you touched on this already a little bit, but you, you think Monero is is one of the better suited platforms for building a digital identity system on top of as compared to Bitcoin or Ethereum or something? Well, I mean, just... there are identity systems built on or decentralized identity systems built on Ethereum. I think they're even more than I can count on Ethereum um, to this day. And... On Bitcoin, there was one of the very first decentralized identity um, methods created, or one of the first decentralized identity methods, in fact, used Bitcoin and used the transaction hash of two of of a transaction between two Bitcoin addresses as an identifier. So, what I'm proposing is not super new, but the new thing is combining what is out there and what is well-tested with the technology and opportunities this technology brings um, off Monero. Um, why is that? So Monero uses ring signatures to make transactions unlinkable. And these ring signatures can work offer the opportunity to prove that you control an address that is participant of um, the signature ring without revealing it. Hence, you can prove that you have initiated a transaction um, that led to a transaction hash without giving away um, your your privacy and and making your identifier your Monero address correlatable, because when you when you use your Monero address to you know sign up to XMR Bazaar and maybe XMR XMR streaming and XMR um, delivery services dot org I don't know I'm, yeah, I'm running out of uh, examples. <laughs> Then, like all these platforms can can basically ask each other, "Hey, have you seen this address? Have you seen that address?" And they can collude. Whereas, if you use the transaction hash, it becomes much harder to collude and correlate. Where, where someone who controls a secret that initiated a transaction, which resulted in transaction hash, um, signed up for a service. All right. What, um, I, I guess you, you kind of touched on this one already, and it, it was brought up when you gave your presentation. Who do you see? Who do you see as being the issuer of these of these IDs? I guess the the participants in the system, right? Like XMR Bazaar, for example. But go go ahead if you could ex explain that a little bit, right? Especially. If we're trying to make this 
something that could be used in a way that potentially replaces the traditional ID system offered by the state? Who who becomes the official issuers? Um, someone we trust or someone we decide to put trust in. Um, and in many cases, this can be the individual. This can be a single person. So let's say you, you go on XMR Bazaar and you, you shop some sweet Monero merch, right? Um, and you pay in Monero and you, you know, you, you want to have this shipped. So like you, you as a customer, um, quite, quite literally have an interest in having it shipped to an address where you can get a hold of, or, um, if it is for a friend where they can, um, get a hold of it, where can, they can access it. So you have an interest in, well, shipping it to the right address. I mean, it, it, it's painful if a package gets lost and, and you, you don't want to send it to, to Europe instead of, you know, London in Canada, for example. So you have an interest in like, giving the right information. And in this case, you don't need to upload a, a government issued ID to, to ship it there, but it's just enough if you say, well, it's London, Ontario and not London, UK. Um, so in this case, the IDs are, are issued, are self-issued in fact, um, by the individuals. Now, if we talk about more sensitive use cases, so for example, you want to gate a community, you want to um, create a review process, for example, to, to give out um, Monero Magic grants, um, then it becomes more difficult and, and we need to assess as a community, who do we want to put trust in? What is who are or which institutions do we have in our community that we trust, that we rely on, um, but which are also under our community control. Um, and then by maybe identifying, and this is not an easy process, you know, this is, we, we need to, well, assess and evaluate which institutions these are and whether we, we want them in control. Um, because we can control them and, and, you know, check them and balance them as a community to do that. So we need to create this framework and creating this framework work is actually more difficult than, um, creating the technical solution itself. So unfortunately there is not one easy answer to this. It's more like we need to come up with a solution and we need to discuss a lot and map a lot in order to well, identify trustworthy issuers of identities. And it's very likely going to be more than one because decentralization is good. And if we can chain different credentials together, we don't rely on one, but on the set of credentials from different community institutions that one individual holds, which, you know, form an identity rather than just an identity document limiting the well expression and expressiveness of one's identity. Hmm. 
you you have you have me thinking you have me thinking ben so so like the xmr bizarre example is interesting because you effectively if that became popular it could really become uh an authenticate right uh essentially an issuer because you may you know the the profile that you built up on there and the reputation that you built up on there with transactions you've made as a buyer or a seller and people have given you thumbs up whatever you've had a uh, hundred successful transactions now that 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 identity you have there has some value because of that reputation that's attached to it and maybe you've never revealed you know identif- like personal identifying information about yourself but you have this this uh, you know pseudonymous identity where you've shown that you're a good reputable person for purposes of engaging in, in commerce online, and then perhaps you would then be able to use that ID elsewhere when engaging elsewhere online uh, in a peer-to-peer way to prove, like, oh, you can trust me. Look, I was, I was, you know, I had a good reputation. I'm known to have a good reputation, and you're, you know, like that could follow your digital ID. Yeah, this is possible, but in this case, uh, XMR Bazaar is the uh, guarantor of um, the, well, let's say, platform where where this happens, but the evaluations are done by peers, by other participants in the market on XMR Bazaar. So, like, the Bazaar aspect of it says everything you know if you think about a bazaar like a physical bazaar it's everybody's not one seller right so basically all all these small you know sellers and and shop owners they become issuers in fact they they attest to your purchases they attest to your reviews they can they can verify whether this review you made is actually real or fake. Um, whether they have an incentive to do so is a different question, but theoretically they can verify that you made the purchase and this review is real. Um, so in this case, XMR Bazaar may be the issuer of the like initial XMR Bazaar customer credential, but everything that follows is is issued by by the community is issued by peers so this is a really good example where you create a framework a trusted space where reputation can be earned credentials can be generated and basically packaged and parceled um, to be then used in different contexts contexts and in new new ways by the individual without having to store everything on the infrastructure of the platform XMR Bazaar, but actually putting it in the control of the individuals who interact on that marketplace. I hope we get there, man. I hope we get there. What do you, what do you think? I mean, uh, in practical terms, what do you think the the ecosystem will look like in five to ten years uh, with regards to Monero and digital IDs and people participating in in commerce online? Do you? 
I'd like to hear how, uh, do you have a, a vision for how, how it may look practically speaking? Um, okay. So me, you know, I get all excited and, and, you know, this was a great conversation. Um, but like, what, what I appreciate about the Monero community, it's very outspoken. So I think six weeks back or something, um, we were having some great discussions in the Monero policy group, uh, working group, um, IRC chat. Someone said, well, what are you proposing all this decentralized identity stuff? That's something the Monero community doesn't want and it's never going to accept and adopt. And no, you, you, you talk about like ideas that never going to fly, but then I'm, I'm talking to you and you're saying, well, XMR Bazaar and, and people actually do use their, their Monero addresses as identifiers, which gets me thinking that maybe it's more diverse than that. And we definitely going to move to decentralized identities. It's, it's not everywhere, but like people are thinking about this even outside of Monero. And if we don't make a move at some point, we may just have to use another identity system um, that is already in place. When you look in other communities that have formed around cryptocurrencies and, you know, DLT networks, especially Ethereum, then you see that they don't care about, well, they, they do care about privacy, but they don't care about what their identifiers do and um, do not shield from. Um, they just, you know, want to be identified. Um, so in five to 10 years, we see many more private sector solutions. We're going to see a couple of major government solutions, but they're going to be widely adopted is a different question, but we will have a plurality of solutions that may not be fit for purpose for what we're going to do and what we are what we stand for even in with different voices and different perspectives what what is the specific pushback you were getting when you were uh, proposing it that it's not in the in the ethos of monero but you know i i wouldn't say that there is the ethos of monero there are there are many voices and, you know, at MoneroCon, I've, I've heard many or a lot of positive feedback. And in fact, there are the community members who research this on a full-time or part-time basis and are quite excited about the like benefits and mitigation measures Monero offers to, well, let's say more surveillance-centered, decentralized or digital ID systems. But in essence, there is a feeling of ethos with, like for some members of the Monero community who just, you know, treat identity um, as being equal in, in every way so that like identification is bad outright. Whereas it's much more nuanced and even if you opt out um, and there were some talks at MoneroCon 
I'm talking about opting out and registering elsewhere, kind of, you know, moving out of like your, your birth country, um, to, to get more freedom, even this involves identification. So, but frankly, identification and identity documents, not going to go away. So we, we better figure a way out how we can, you know, live with them, um, and make them a little bit more safe than they are right now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I know somebody in the Monero community that is living with this experience where they essentially don't have an ID in the, the state where they are. They have no state issued ID and for whatever reason, they don't have a means of getting one. They never had one, uh, you know, without going into detail. And honestly, I don't really know the details. Um, but I don't think they, you know, have an, a, 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 essentially they don't have a, a birth certificate if, if that's possible, or there's no, there's no record of it or something. And so, but this, this person is very much struggling, uh, with, you know, as much as we all talk about opting out, he he's at the point where he can't interact with society to where it's not sustainable. He's, you know, unable to get housing, unable to interact in every way. I mean, a lot of us may think, oh, that's, that's kind of the dream, right? Uh, but practically speaking, if you're still in that society, you need a way of interacting with it. And if you're, you're seen as an, as an outsider where you can't prove uh, who you are in some fashion, you're just completely cut off and unable to um, integrate. So yeah. it's, have, have you done research in that area? Are you, are you familiar with, with people like this and these issues? So, um, yes. And these people, uh, I don't, I don't like the term these people. Um, yeah. So, because in essence, they are like members of our societies mm -hmm. who are not granted um, the same benefits many, many of many members of our society take for granted. Um, and I think there are there are two perspectives. So, on one perspective, it is important for for the individual in this situation. Um, to to get any kind of ID, and ideally, it would be an identity with some legitimacy, um, either stemming from the community or the society. These are two different terms. So, society generally refers to something more more broad, like you know, the United States could be considered a society, whereas the Monero community or like a, a local uh, neighborhood would be considered a community. So if, if an identity document is like generated with some sort of legitimacy, either from a community or ideally a society, then this is a major step for this individual because they, they suddenly can can do things they, they cannot do right now. Um, so I do agree that, um, sometimes it sounds like we take these identity, 
means of identification and to have them as granite, whereas they are obviously not. The other perspective is that many pilots and many, you know, proof of concepts um, for decentralized or digital ID um, target these groups first and specifically. And, you know, this gets, that has a weird taste to it where it, it, it doesn't quite sit right that, you know, we, that some, some technologists trial new things on the most vulnerable among us. Um, well, it may be in their interest to, to get an ID as soon as possible. Um, you don't want to be part of some weird experiment. Um, World so coin. we need to be <laughs> right. World coin, I think, is the perfect example, right? Yeah, I mean, they they trial in Africa, they they trial in India, and um, this is this is not ethical, um, and essentially, it's privatizing many like many benefits the governmental ID system can offer, but they're not the first one. So for example, in Nigeria, um, MasterCard is, um, basically issuing the, the government ID. So you have a government ID combined with mass MasterCard. It's, it's super weird. And, it, and this exists for, for quite some time now it's not decentralized. Long story short, um, I do know a person too, who, uh, flew a country and couldn't move like their ID document is expired and they're now living off a, a like printed piece of paper by some police station in like some plastic foil that is their identity document. There isn't even a stamp. So it's just their picture, their name. Um, and that's it. They cannot move. They just have access to the most basic services of society. Um, and it's horrible. There, there's no way of returning, um, because you in essence rely on a degrading piece of paper that is just very limited in its acceptance. Amazing. Right. Um, I guess just, just to to really touch on this a little bit more, uh, we'll, we'll wrap it up on the on this topic, but basically the pushback you are getting, and I, I, I imagine ultimately the, the concern is, is how, how do you ensure that a decentralized identity solution does not become a tool of social control, right? That I think that's ultimately what the pushback was that you're getting, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think that kind of sums it up, right? That's the fear, right? So these things sound good in theory. Uh, you're not proposing that that we live in some system where everybody needs to be KYC'd, AML'd uh, in all their interactions, quite the opposite. We're saying you want, you want to live in a world where people can identify themselves without giving up more information than they need to about themselves and without a history that's then tracking them. But how do we make sure that 
any type of system that we try to impose, whether decentralized or otherwise, doesn't ultimately be misused and become a, a system of, of more control and a KYC AML nightmare. And I think that that is a difficult question and a problem for technology at large. Um, so there's a quite, at least I had to read it, um, for, for my A-levels. Um, so there's a German book, it's called the physicists where like three physicists are locked in a villa and they basically contemplate, um, about the, the world formula they came up with. And, um, the, the story basically refers to the creation of the atomic bomb. Um, because the science behind it is quite groundbreaking, the, the technology too, but it's just being misused. Um, I think we need, we need to be honest with ourselves. Um, we, we shouldn't focus on, on governance, but we, we should focus on, on communication and we may want to ask, what do we need it for first before focusing on the benefits of the technology? So if we, if we talk more about social problems, if we talk more about our needs, about individual needs, social needs, communal needs, and then think about what is best to be used. Maybe a piece of paper is enough, but maybe for XMR bizarre, we, we need something else because we are spread out globally and, and sending back and forth papers and envelopes may not be the most feasible solution. So instead of putting solutions first and then thinking about problems, we can, we apply them. Um, but thinking about what we need, what we feel, what is important to us as individuals and community, and then try technology in a very limited scope, we, we may create the safeguards on a, an individual, a communal and societal level that limit the use of technology and does not or do not turn technology into its own means, into its own end. So not making technology its own end but always keeping it as a means to an end, as a tool, um, which is limited in scope and not all encompassing. Ultimately, are, are you are you an optimist? With I mean, I have to assume you are, right? Otherwise, you, you wouldn't even be working on any of this stuff. But do do you think ultimately we can steer technology in a way where it ends up yielding more liberty and not uh, dystopia? Um, I, I would, I would think so. Um, well, I would at least hope so. Um, I, I do think that we need to ask liberty for who freedom for who, whose freedom are we building, um, for, but I, I think we, I think we're going to get there at least in, within our community, within communities. And if we, you know achieve this for one, two, three, four, five 
500 communities, maybe these communities then can can join and you know put the freedom of a bigger pool at another level. Fantastic conversation, Ben. Likewise, I really enjoyed your questions and your input and like, thank you for sharing XMR Bazaar. Um, I'm looking forward to hear more of that and maybe we do the integration at some point someday. Yeah, I will definitely keep you posted. In fact, uh, I'd love to maybe after this conversation, talk to you a little, a little bit more about it. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to, pl- I'm going to end this by cutting in a clip of where my daughter asked you the question. Cause I think that, I think that, I think that's, that's a great, and she'll, she'll love it when she watches the video. Uh, so we'll, we'll put that in that clip where she asked you the question at the, at the conference. Uh, thank you so much, man. Where, where can people continue to learn more about what you're working on and follow you in general? If you want to put that information out uh, there. Yeah. So it's Benedictus, um, on Twitter, um, or X, I believe they call it now. Yes. Um, it's time for a Mastodon, but I'm not there yet, unfortunately. But other than that, um, open access publications. Um, so I'm on the research heavy side. But yeah, I think X for now should suffice. All right. Thank you, man. Thank you so much. My question is, is it bad that you need to show your information to other people to get through places? Like you, like when you go on a plane, you have to show your passport and stuff like that, and you have to do all of that. Is that bad, or is that good, or does it like not really matter? Your question? Yeah, that, that's... that's a really good question so um i don't well good and bad is is a very concrete way of 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 framing it um i think it's more difficult than this um let's let's say so whether it's good or bad really depends on um do you think it's fair so so think about it um if if you can can go and and get I don't know an ice cream um, just by walking through like just by asking and then like the the boy next to you um, to get this ice cream um, needs to get photographed and and needs to do a lot of things so essentially what what identity does is that it enables or it determines how much you have to work or how much you have to do to get the ice cream. So it, it, it distinguishes, it, it makes people different from each other rather than um, just the same. So it allows the ice cream man to, to ask the boy, your friend, to do more for the ice cream, to work harder for the ice cream than, than you. So in this respect, it's bad that you need to present this. Hi, Monero Land. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode. We release new episodes every week. You can find and subscribe to our show on YouTube, Odyssey, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Go to MoneroTalk.live for a full list of places where you can watch and listen. If you want to interact with us, guests, or other podcast listeners, you can follow us on Twitter. Monero Talk is also made possible from contributions by viewers and listeners like you. And supporting us is easier than ever by typing in MoneroTalk.crypto in your Monero.com or CakeWallet send address field to send us a tip. Once again, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to being back next week.